0: looking at learning to decipher what is coming at us, what, what the messages are from that unconscious and the various ways that, that it speaks, and then how to speak back using our breath and how to start having that better conversation.
1: Welcome to the Zero Quit Podcast, where I bring you candid conversations with elite athletes, entrepreneurs, specialists, and other creatives. I'm your host, Brock Covington, and through these dialogues, you will hear powerful stories and practical advice that will help you live a more active and intentional life. If you enjoy the show, be sure to subscribe and share it with a friend. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Zero Quit Podcast. Today, I have on Jesse Coomer. He is a human performance specialist, breathwork, and renowned speaker. He trains athletes, CEOs, first responders, military, the whole works, everyday people as well, seeking to optimize their performance, reduce anxiety, stress, all that jazz. Live happier, healthier lives through his protocols and techniques. He's also the author of the upcoming book. The language of breath, which we're going to dig into a lot today. How are you doing, man? I'm doing great. It's always nice to see it on the other end.
0: I I, I brought my <laughs> copy, you know, just in case. Perfect but, product uh... placement. Well, it
1: came in good timing. I've been reading through it through the the copy you provided, so I was able to kind of dig into it because it came yesterday. So it was like perfect timing. Oh, actually. okay, all right. Yeah, Cram but session. now I got the exactly now I got the flashy <laughs> copy. I can pull up the uh, the physical paper on there. So. I think that's a great way or a great place to start is tell me a little bit about the title of the book. Obviously, I've read through it, and so I know that you break down what it means to breathe through language, but explain a little bit about why you chose that kind of topic and that approach towards breath.
0: So for for me, breathwork has been incredibly, a profoundly uh, powerful, life-changing tool that Mm -hmm. I have used now for over a decade, and it's something that I am the type of person when I am fascinated in something, I seek to understand it as as deeply as I possibly can. Now, I shared with you before we started recording that I'm a recovering English professor, uh, Mm -hmm. and so it may (laughs) be that I do seek to to look at things in linguistic terms, but I, 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 I have to say I didn't set out to do it that way. I set out to just simply understand. And even though my, in my former life, I was an English professor, I I wasn't, I did teach a few, you know, like British literature, American literature classes, Mm -hmm. things like that. But the majority of what I focused in is research and rhetoric. So how do you find out everything you can about a topic with as much clarity and precision as possible? decluttering a lot of the myths and a lot of the clickbait and you know a lot Mm -hmm. of the misunderstandings and how do you relate it to another person in a way that's understandable that's meaningful something that will convey uh, something that the other person can take action on right something that's actionable hopefully and so when I actually I wrote my first book in 2020 and hey guess what Got it on hand. Guess what? Let's see. Here it is. Oh, oh, boom. (laughs) There it is. Boom. (laughs) Practical guide to breath work. Practical, a practical guide to breath work. I, I'm from the Midwest. We're really practical people. Um, and we just want, and the thing is at the time I was exploring all these different modalities. There's a lot of different voices in the world of breath work. And just like in fitness, there's a lot of what I would consider to be, you know, um, you know, just this one simple trick.
1: And this is. Yeah, well, there's the a lot thing. of charlatans and jargon. Oh, yeah. And, and I, I think people like to dance around. And even today, I mean, you see it all the time, especially as the influencer market has expanded, right. whether it's fitness or entrepreneurship or anything, um, cold plunges, right? There's all these <clears> people that's like, this is the one trick or do this or do that. But then the actual practicality, you know, like we talked about, uh, it's not it's not as approachable for everyone and not as applicable to their everyday life. Not everyone has, you know, if they have a nine to five, they can't do everything that the, you know, quote unquote influencer does. Right. I, yeah, the, there is, well, and just on that point, you know, I, I
0: grew up in a family, we had a a family owned nutrition store Mm -hmm. and this was in the, you know, we, we took over, I think it was like year 2000. And so you had a lot of the, the supplement industry was just really starting to explode in the nineties. And you had a lot of the explosion that came over into the two thousands and in the fitness world and, uh, and in the supplementation world, you would start to see the, you know, the, the pill that will burn belly fat, right. Mm-hmm. Or the, uh, you know, the, 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 magazines do these three things to, to get the six pack abs and, and by this weekend oh, yeah. or, you know, something mm-hmm. ridiculous and we want to believe these things so bad that we're willing to spend our money. We're, Hey, you know, I look at that before and after picture, right? Yeah. You know, it must be true. And so I got into breath work actually in a very similar way. I bought into a lot of things. Hey, there's certain things you can do and you'll never get sick again. And there's certain things you can do and you'll live, you know, all this forever. forever. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you'll be a Superman and all these things. And I don't want to, I don't want to downplay how powerful breathwork can be, but I do want to say that I got into it just like, I think a lot of people get into a lot of things and Mm -hmm. I was deciphering what was real. I was looking at all these different things and there was so many people do my technique or my style or my method or my, what this or that it's all you're ever going to need. Just do it this way. And, and this is it. And Mm -hmm. I was confused. I got into breath work, trying to help myself through anxiety. I've always been a person who has had social anxiety, even though I'm an extrovert. And so I wrote my first book in 2020. Just, it was the book I wished that would have been out there for me. Just kind of deciphering just like really practically, this is what's happening. These are some basic things. Here are some basic techniques. Here's the root foundation of this. This is the history of breath work. And that was great. That was in 2020. And, you know, I didn't stop being curious though. And that was really Mm -hmm. kind of the beginning of me starting to say, well, I I started to do some research in things that were not what would typically be seen as breath work related. And so in language of breath... I start to apply a lot of the research that I've done on the unconscious. Mm -hmm. And, um, I started to realize that what is happening oftentimes when we suffer from like today, we, we, we suffer from stress, anxiety, rumination, and we think it's modern, but it's something human beings, we've been suffering from these things as long as we've been human beings, right? You can look at the ancient texts, you can go back, people have ruminated uh, forever. Uh, we've always had worries. We've always had struggles and anxieties. We just – maybe we have more inputs, more information than ever before. So there, there is some validity to – And like
1: more, I feel like, vernacular to add to it, you know, tying in yeah. that language aspect. Like we have different words or – um, medical labels right we attach certain oh, yeah. symptoms or experiences. oh and we
0: can WebMD anything can't we? you know it, everything <laughs> is it can lead to cancer heart attack all these things and so we can really go down the rabbit hole if you want to fuel your ruminations and fuel your fears you can find other mm-hmm. reasons why to justify those fears and so I started doing a lot of research I started um, I was very fortunate In, I think it was 2018, I met Dr. Otto Muzik, who is a uh, neuroscientist, and he just, he became kind of a mentor to me. I I got an enormous amount of education about how our brains work and how our conscious, unconscious processes work. I started researching uh, the work of Dr. Cynthia Price, who has done an enormous amount of research as far as like ultimately how we feel our emotions, how we can sense those things. Mm-hmm. And I started to realize that this thing that I've been working with, with breath work for so long is ultimately part of it. You, It's not just a creative way for me to write a book, to look at it in a linguistic structure. It mm-hmm. really is an interplay that we are always within and we just do generally go through life completely unaware yeah we go through life thinking that okay and and in the book i don't know how far you made it into it so thank you for for every word that you've read yeah. but <laughs> i i go into the book and i i start to explore some of these misconceptions that we've mm-hmm. had about what we are yeah yeah and, well
1: let, yeah Oh no, go
0: ahead oh, well i was just going to say when we when we start to dissolve some of these misconceptions we can start to have a better relationship with ourselves we we tend to treat ourselves according to how we understand ourselves and that's to be Mm -hmm. understood once we start to understand ourselves better then we can start to play a more active role within ourselves and this is where the language of breath philosophy really comes into play
1: yeah, it's learning your body and, and realizing, especially with breath. It's an interesting thing because I always I've referenced before in the podcast or just in regular conversation how we all have bodies, we all eat food, right? But not many people really understand the mechanics of their body, the physiology, how certain foods make them feel. And having that introspection and, and talking about you know feeling how how is your body digesting? How do you feel when you eat this food? Do you feel sluggish? Do you feel energized? Thinking of it like that, and breath is fascinating primarily because. We think of it as this kind of quick trick, as you reference in the book, um, that people have this misconception of it that way of like what can it solve? But it's also this activity that we unconsciously do, we have to do to stay alive, and we're constantly doing it. whenever not breathing, right? So yeah. it's that it's just an interesting tool. Um, let me let me read this this quick quote that I wanted to bring to you and you let you run with it. So you say that in the book that breath work will not change your life for you, but when you learn how it works, you can enjoy a state where you can creatively and confidently take better actions is your actions that will lead you to a better life. And I like that you point that out because a lot of people do approach breath as, Oh, what can this breath technique do for better sleep? Or how can I not get sick? Or how can I feel more relaxed, relieve stress rather than looking at it as just a tool in the toolbox, just one piece of the puzzle to actually lead to that happier, healthier, less stressed life.
0: Well, yeah. And I would ask a person, you know, if, if, if all you're doing is using breath work to be able to tolerate your life, Mm -hmm. maybe, maybe you should make some changes in your life so that, that you love your life a little bit more. Ultimately, we can look at so many things. We can look at nutrition. We can look at um, fitness uh, as far as exercise, all of these things. And that's fantastic. But at the end of the day, what are you doing? What are you doing with your life? Are Are you unsatisfied? Am I in a place that's so bad? That I need all of these modalities. You, t- you mentioned all these things that this quote unquote influencers do every single day, right? It's like, yeah. and if you try to do them, we all know you won't have any day left. You know, yeah. how bad is your life if you... If if this thing is the only thing that helps you hang on, so yeah, it I,
1: makes me kind of think. Just a pleasure. It makes me no. think of a, uh, like Flex Seal. Like just throwing Flex Seal <laughs> over all the you know horrible relationships, poor diet, lack of exercise. You have just throwing Flex Seal on it and hoping that fixes it, right?
0: Right. And this is something that I, I remember when I first started making friends with Doctor Autumn music, I, I he would always talk about breathwork as a band aid, and I at first. I was like, no, don't call it a band aid. all the, you know, I was, yeah. I was the early on in my, in my breathwork career, I was just like everybody else. I was saying it's, 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 you know, I didn't necessarily say it was the cure to anxiety mm-hmm. and things like you'll hear many times in the breathwork world, but I was definitely looking at it, I think, incorrectly. And he was right. He, he helped, he kind of challenged me because my my argument in the language of breath is that we are organisms of action. That's where mm-hmm. the stress, that's where the anxiety, that's where the rumination is actually coming from. We've forgotten that we're organisms of action. We think we're machines, right? We're this operator, mm-hmm. I'm a mind that operates a
1: body and- The monkey on the elephant. Yeah, you know, yeah. And,
0: yeah. and we think of ourselves as, and really the monkey on the elements, elephant is more accurate um, mm-hmm. then, then a lot, right? Because we are a relationship and this is a relationship that can be really positive. It can also be incredibly negative. And mm-hmm. if you're unaware that this relationship even exists, how are you going to nurture it? So when it comes to the, the value of breath work, when I treat, when, when, when I'm, when I'm working with my clients, whenever I am giving workshops, when I'm doing retreats, my whole Mm -hmm. goal is to help a person put themselves in the right state, right? Get that team, you know, get that relationship that is you, the conscious and the unconscious. That's Mm -hmm. generally where our problems lie. And then our actions tend to, you know, we don't even know where our actions are coming from sometimes. We, we, well, uh, well, I'm doing this because I have no other choice. Well, okay. I know it might feel like that right now, but there's a conscious and unconscious uh, negotiation that's that's always happening. Yeah. And how can I better become familiar with these two aspects of what I am and how can I help them become more in alignment with each other? So if you are, I, you know, I would never say to a person, Hey, you know how you hate your job and you're in an abusive relationship. Um, and you have uh, incredible amounts of debts. Well, you know what? Sit down and just breathe, man. Just breathe. (laughs) It's (laughs) just take a deep breath. Yeah. You know, I, yes, I would, I, I, I coach people to use their breath, but you have to do that. The whole point of it is so that we can take a more active and a more positive role in our lives to put ourselves where we need to be and where we want to be and in some cases, you may not have made it to the end of the book. We don't even know consciously. We're, we're like, I don't even know what I want. Mm-hmm. But there is a part of you that does know what you want. The unconscious you, and th- just to give, give some, some, I guess, some, some clarity to this. Ultimately, mm-hmm. we have an, about 11 million pieces of information that's coming in at all times. And we can only consciously process about 40 pieces of information at a time. This is why critical thinking is so difficult. This is why snap judgments are so easy. The unconscious is most of us. That's where our personality is. That's where our preferences are. That's where our snap judgments come from. And Mm -hmm. it's doing its job. It's really trying to do its best to say, okay, I'm going to read the room. I'm going to look for patterns. I'm going to look for the context that we're in and I'm going to try to give us the right amount of energy. I'm going to move our physiology in the way that I think is best suited for this situation. I'm going to do my very best for this team, but it's not always right. And it has no ability, the unconscious parts of you, it's, it's, it's not able to think about the future. It's only in the present moment. So you might be thinking about the future, you might be thinking about something that you're afraid of or you're worried about in that mm. might happen tomorrow or even worse something that already happened. That's the worst because you can't make you can't do anything about that anymore. But the unconscious you is like it's happening now. And so we start to see this rumination, we start to shadow box and that usually gets in the way of us taking any positive actions to move our lives forward in a in a good way that something we can actually do something about. So when we look at the language of breath we're not just looking at breathing techniques. Yeah, we're looking at learning to decipher what is coming at us. What what the messages are from that unconscious and the various ways that that it speaks and then how to speak back using our breath and how to start having that better conversation.
1: So would you say it heightens this this practice of breath work is really a tool to heighten our self-awareness rather than solve a particular issue if I was.
0: I would say that is my goal. My goal in the mm-hmm. language of breath is to help a person become incredibly self-aware, to understand that all of the sensations that accompany emotion are not the boogeyman. If you mm-hmm. like, so for instance, this is. I, I think this is a good example. So, I drink coffee in the morning. I would assume you know me as almost, well. Yeah. Hey. It, you know it's. Well, I'll, arch- I'll on that. Do, you,
1: do you home brew or are you Keurig or your potter?
0: I'm a, I, I am a French press
1: kind okay. of guy. Yeah. I like so that. As long my, as it's home brew, I'm down with it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. My wife and I, we, we, we were like, you know what? If we, we, we were tired of pouring out a bunch of wasted coffee every day. So we're like, let's just do a French press. You get a cup. I get a cup. We're done. You know, yeah. it tastes great. So yeah, you have a cup of coffee and Hey, you're looking forward for that a little bit of caffeine, you get the energy Mm -hmm. and hey, it feels nice. I'm expecting it. I know where it's coming from. So I know what to do with it. And if I, if I start feeling a little too caffeinated, I just, okay, I'm done drinking my coffee for the day. Now imagine you're getting that kind of energy, but you don't know where it's coming from that might freak you out. Right? I mean, it typically Mm. will freak us out. That is the stress response. So, so the unconscious you will, it's, it's, it's reading the room. It's, it's constantly got an idea of what you're capable of as an individual. It's based on every interaction you've had with other people throughout your entire life. It's, it's gauging, are these liars? Are people generally good? Um, Mm -hmm. When a person looks at me this way, what does that generally mean? There's so many what we call implied learnings that happen. We don't, we can't even count them all. And so based off of that, it's going to put you into a state and it's going to add energy or it's going to add relaxation. And what happens so often when we talk about stress, anxiety, rumination, it's adding energy and it's likely that you you are not in a place or in a position to physically use that energy. Mm -hmm. So you, you know, it's... I've got a, I don't know, I've got a, my dog is sick. I don't know if he's going to have a problem or uh, there's an algebra test tomorrow. That was my always chemistry and algebra, man. You I know, you. of course I, I was a humanities guy, but <laughs> okay. uh, eventually I learned those, the science quite well, you know, it took mm-hmm. a while, but, but the point is this thing in the future that might cause me a threat. I'm thinking about that. I can think consciously about the future. I can think consciously about the past, but my unconscious is always in the present. So it says mm. algebra test. And it doesn't think about like this critically. It doesn't think, well, you're going to need to sit down, concentrate on the the problems. It thinks this is a threat to my either my survival or my social uh, standing, right? Because social standing is just as important as as survival when it comes to our species. We, this is why being ostracized is such a a scary thing for us. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, we, we fear public speaking more than we fear death. Yeah. You know, because I might make a fool out of myself and that would be worse than dying, you know, being Mm -hmm. ostracized from the group. And, and if you go back far enough, being ostracized from the tribe, it would be a, not only would you die, but you would suffer every minute of, of the way. So, so our unconscious is always trying to put us in that right state and it's going to put this energy in there. We don't always, because we don't understand what we are so often, we think we're just this operator machine. We get this energy and we experience it in such a negative way. Not only is it unpleasant, but it's scary because I don't know what it's there for. I don't even know what I'm supposed to do with it. And then now I have to resist. I have to strain against it. And so with the language of breath, this, my, my whole philosophy is, is ultimately, once you understand what it is, then we can start to work with it. And breath is, an, is in my view, the most direct way to work with it.
1: Yeah. I, one thing I wrote down listening to that was just thinking about if you believe that breath and this, again, heightening of our self-awareness and ability to really leverage our consciousness – are we able to override or at least because I guess I don't know if we're able to override some of these instinctual biological processes as we're responding to stimuli for example thinking about the anticipation of the test right like the anticipation is instigating this fear response right but -hmm. if we have a level of consciousness about that and maybe uh, we've read some, as we'll we'll discuss later, our, our love for Western philosophy. Oh boy! If we have if we have some of that understanding, and we can maybe frame our perspective of that fear differently, is that a way that we're overriding it, or just kind of like masking the unconsciousness? I don't know if that's a question, but just I think like I get where you're going
0: with bit. that. Yeah. First of all, I do think that framing is important in the book. I you know in the now this is the last chapter in the book. Yeah. Um whenever I'm putting it all together and how a person can use all of these different breath modalities, all of the, all the stuff that's in the book, how they can use it to, to take better actions in their lives. Um, and I give some, some examples of people who have gone through this, but one of the things I want to mention, and then, and then I'll, I've got two points to that Mm -hmm. question. One is, is it fear? So am I actually afraid or am I, am I just excited because the unconscious mm-hmm. is going to give you energy either way. We look at this, the stress response as this negative thing. And that's actually our unconscious again. Our unconscious is always, <laughs> it generally has a negative bias to everything. So, yeah. so it's, it's not just you, it's not just your friend. That is a natural thing to have a negative bias toward just about everything. I guess because it's
1: seeking homeostasis, right?
0: It's seeking homeostasis. Allostasis is another way thing to think yeah. about it. It's it's seeking safety generally. So we're we're seeking safety and we're we're trying to avoid uncertainty. Uncertainty mm. is the opposite of safety, and uncertainty is the thing that could get you killed. So is it a stick or is it a snake? Well, I only have to be wrong one time <laughs> and then it's over. Mm. But if it's a stick and I'm wrong it's no big deal. I'm still alive, but I've I've taken the precautions. So I've had a negative bias on what this could be unconsciously. And before I can even consciously think about it too much, I've got emotions that are running through. Those are biological messengers. I've got autonomic arousal. I've got a change in my physiology. I've got so much happening so fast. And then the, un- the unconscious is real fast at that. And then it will usually kick something up to the conscious, uh, you and, and say, Hey, would you check this out? And then you're like, Hmm, what, what is that again? And it takes mm-hmm. us a lot of time. Conscious processing is slow and it it costs a lot of calories. So we tend to just not want to do it. The, hence the, hence the, the reason why we don't like critical thinking. I mean, it's not a new thing. Humans just don't like the critical thinking. We'd rather just make an assumption because that's mm-hmm. the unconscious and it does it automatically. Uh, but, so, so the first thing is framing. Am I really afraid? Is this really stress, or am I just excited? So, it's going to actually the the, the physiological response is 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 pretty much the same. I think we've all maybe as kids, you couldn't wait to go to the, the theme park the next day, and you had a hard time sleeping, or you know, I man, I'm so Christmas excited the next morning. You know, exactly. Christmas is <laughs> yeah. the next day. I man, I just I can't wait to go to sleep, but I can't go to sleep. And mm-hmm. so it's the same basic thing, the unconscious and the conscious, there's this, this connection there. So there's that. Now on the, on the other point though, are we masking it? Is that the goal? The goal here is once you become aware of it, and, and this is something my clients and people that go to my retreats and take my courses, they hear this. I say it a lot, that awareness is the foundation of all positive change that ultimately becoming fully aware of these things you can you you uncover whether or not they're the boogeyman and this is this interesting thing about conscious internal awareness that i find incredibly fascinating there's there's so many times whenever uh, and i think one of the ways we can look at it is is we're discovering what pain is Pain, of course, we just associate, we, there's a lot of things that cause pain, but we understand that your attention affects how pain is experienced. And there are sometimes mm-hmm. when you'll feel pain and you're trying to ignore it so much that the pain is worse than it actually technically could be if you were willing to focus in on it. And... This this has been documented in research. Dr. Cynthia Price has done an enormous amount of research on this. That just sustained interoceptive awareness, so sustained internal awareness, can make huge changes in our perceptions on how things actually are. And this this is something that I've I've it, it inspired the language of breath philosophy. And ultimately, when we are willing to become more aware let's suppose mm-hmm. we're becoming more aware of our feelings right and i know that might sound hey we gotta be we gotta acknowledge our feelings right man i'm scared or i'm going cry <laughs> i'm i'm not necessarily talking about it like that i, I i'm not that i'm not the, the, what i'm really talking about is can you actually feel the feeling yeah it's one thing to intellectually say i am sad because my dog died but it's another thing to to actually focus in on the physical sensations that accompany emotion because can
1: understand it right <sighs> like what is what is driving it and here's the thing
0: the, 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 what, the more i research the more it's it's less important that we know why we feel what we feel and it's a more important thing to actually just feel it and mm-hmm. acknowledge it and know that it's not it's not coming from the boogeyman. It's nothing that's wrong with me. It's actually coming from a place that loves me very much. And it's actually coming from me. Mm-hmm. I feel this way. And once we once we do that, once we're more in touch with those emotions, I know that the, the natural inclination is to say, well, wouldn't that make us more sensitive to our emotions and, and put us at the whimsy of... Of mm-hmm. all these things, but the reality is, once you learn to look them directly in the face, and once you get into the practice of really always allowing yourself to experience those things, which is the 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 thing that oftentimes with breath work is overlooked, right? We we want a code. I want a code to put into my machine, and I want to want you to make me feel this way. Well, mm-hmm. how do you feel here? Well, how do you actually feel? And how can we? How can we work together acknowledging how we actually feel and then saying, you know, with my rational thinking part of my mind, I know that I'm not in any danger and I'm going to allow myself to completely focus on feeling whatever it is. And these are messages from the unconscious. I'm going to allow myself to feel that. And then I can speak back comfort. I can speak back safety using my breath and we can work with that. And what happens over time is that you start to put yourself in a place where you can take actions to see yourself anew. And l- let me just give you an example. Now I give this one in my book. I had a client who I've actually, it was, I don't know if it was COVID that did this or what happened, but in 2021 and in 2022, but in 2021, it, I had a, a month where I had like three women from different parts of the country, reach out to me. I'm having, for some reason, I, I'm i scared to drive on the highway now. And I don't know why. And I'm especially afraid of, you know, semis and things like that. And um, can you help me? Mm-hmm. And ultimately what was happening is that there was an unconscious process there. Something. And we, we couldn't figure out what it was. And And ultimately it didn't matter what it was that made them have this – irrational fear yes people die on the highways all the time but it's pretty safe to drive you know they've been driving them their whole lives these these were all women over the age of 30 they've been driving for a long time and so there was a part of them that for some reason was was picking up a pattern of danger was seeing themselves as a person who's incapable of facing that danger and so we had to learn how to become comfortable feeling those feelings breath is an amazing way to allow yourself to really focus in on those feelings and kind of lighten the, the impact a little bit to, to, to allow yourself to, to feel them. And we eventually were able to work with, I was able to work with all, all three of these women to get them so that they could, they could do little micro exposures, you know? Okay. Mm -hmm. So we're going to do this breathing technique and it's going to help us stay calm. It's, it's reassuring that unconscious part of you. That's, screaming at you it's okay we can relax okay and then you get on the on-ramp you're going to do this technique it's again it's reassuring great mm-hmm. we're okay and then just go to the first exit just just make it to the first exit and what we're doing is we're starting to teach that unconscious part of that person to look at the situation um as hey i'm a person who can do this um I'm not trying to ignore or white knuckle these sensations. I'm allowing myself to feel them. I'm allowing myself to do the action. And all of these women were eventually able to drive on the highway again. So, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, it kind of makes me think about the more I was thinking about or ruminating on how you were uh, talking about feeling the feeling and, uh, and not worrying too much about where it's coming from i think i i read somewhere i feel like i can i can never remember what book or when i was exploring this but i think i heard or read somewhere that is like science looks at like the why it looks for causality it looks for explaining things right and versus like philosophy at least at times is very focused on like the what um and it kind of made me draw at least a little bit of a connection there where we're not so focused on why we're feeling this um, although that can be of use, but we're just focused on like what this feeling is um, and, and where to go from there. But while we're on this topic and we, we spent a good bit of time thinking about this consciousness and unconsciousness, I want to uh, introduce uh, one of the reasons I was really excited to talk to you was uh, our fascination with Descartes and, oh, yeah. um, and, and the whole mind-body paradigm and, and dualism overall um and so i'll let you introduce a little bit of it uh and your gripe with it but also to explain spinoza um because i referenced spinoza to you and i think you mentioned you haven't read him before and his ethics um but in that he has a very much a dualistic approach but different from uh different from descartes so just for people's uh reference basically a dualist approach is looking at mind and body as two separate things they look at like the physical world as as one kind of uh, variation or sector of, of reality versus the whole kind of mental sphere, um, appearances, um, our consciousness, and how we're kind of fabricating reality in that way. The interesting thing about Spinoza, though, is that he, wasn't, uh, he didn't have the religious ties to it. He was looking at nature and reality from a more secular perspective, but still re- retained that dualistic approach. So he kind of viewed God and nature as synonymous, uh, but he still had this view of the mind and body and this parallelism basically that existed between them. And why I draw this connection is because instead of looking at them as two distinct things as Descartes did, he saw them reflecting each other. And I find that to be maybe not, uh, it's still an ontological uh, claim, but I find it to be a lot more practical in thinking about how the consciousness or the unconsciousness is is reflecting into the consciousness and back and forth. Like they aren't two distinct things that we're talking about here. They do reflect each other. The What you're thinking about and the actions and the thoughts you have consciously do have some impact on the unconscious, unconsciousness and vice versa. So what are your thoughts on uh, all that and oh my these gosh. two great
0: thinkers? Oh, my gosh. Well, thanks for the easy question. Just a little softball <laughs> here. Well, yeah. I think when, when, when we look at what we are and when we look at how we understand what we are. And one of the things as I've as I've taught literature, uh, as I've taught um, a, a lot of these ideas that have been passed down through the centuries and throughout the, you know, the ages, one of the things you that always comes up is that a, nothing really ever goes away. It's just oftentimes we're not even aware that we've built a foundational understanding yes. on those things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you'll have, you'll have some things that are, seem implicitly true that we don't question because it's just, this is just the paradigm that we've built it on. I, I'm excited to look at what we are in a new light, but I know that there's absolutely no way that I can do that. Yeah, I would love to say, I I would love to say, um, hey, I'm coming up with an incredibly original way of looking at ourselves, Mm -hmm. but I know that I'm not. Everything that I is, for instance, that's in my book, in my courses, the things that I teach are built off of, like for me with breathwork, thousands of years of Mm -hmm. study um, throughout the ages. We're very fortunate that while we know that most cultures, you know, that went through the shamanistic period, which all cultures had a shamanistic period. As far as we know, they had some sort of a breathing technique or a breathing, uh, focus, you know, the, the ancient yogis, they actually wrote it down. So we, we have a lot of their thoughts from thousands of years ago. I'm taking from decades of research on consciousness and from, you know, the science that we have in that area and it's difficult for me to see outside of, you know, if we're going to go Western thought on this is difficult for me to see outside of modernism, right? Yeah. Uh, it's different. It's difficult for me to see outside of enlightenment values that you can, Hey, if you look at all the facts, you know, you can rationally figure things out and come out with, yeah, with some kind of a thing. Yeah. So I, I would, because I'm not as I'm not as familiar with Spinoza. I, I, the thing is I've heard him referenced like a million times, like, (laughs) like but, but I just never, I guess really read him much, but, or at all, um, other than referenced by -hmm. by other people, I would say I'm, I'm look, I'm trying to look at ourselves as 37.2 trillion cells that are all working together. There's a level of intelligence in every cell. There's a level mm-hmm. of consciousness in every cell. If, if for some reason, you know, if if, you, if we were to find one of our cells, a, a a human cell that was somehow able to survive on its own on a foreign planet, we would be like, our minds would be blown. And there's there's intelligence everywhere within us, and I think that it's all in relationship to each other. And while we can look at different aspects of what we are as components, um, that it's all one thing. And this is where, you know, we, when I, when I talked about Descartes and of course he didn't, this mind body dualism, you can find in a lot of, uh, philosophy. You, you mm-hmm. I referenced Aristotle's, uh, early proposal for school. He felt that you need to do book work. And then yeah, separate that from that. you know physical yeah, activities. Yeah, because I read the, I
1: read the politics fairly recently, so when you reference oh, that, boy. I was like, yeah. <laughs> oh boy,
0: so you've got this. You've you've got a lot of just implicit um, paradigms that we just haven't questioned. And I'm not saying they're wrong, but I I I would encourage a person to look at themselves more holistically, as yes. opposed to. I am a a machine operator because, mm-hmm. I man, and and now that we're talking about philosophy, I forget the this woman's name. Um, oh, uh, oh boy. Well, th- we have a propensity for using metaphor all the time, right? So there, mm-hmm. all the time, we're always using metaphor. And she, this this
1: one, I forget what her book was. She called. She French? I always just think of like uh, Pro- Simone probably if she was a philosopher or Hannah Arendt or yeah.
0: I'm okay, but.
1: We'll she made the point it. that
0: she had cancer <laughs> yeah. and and we often look we, we when we talk about sickness we we compare it to a war and so mm-hmm. now you're you are a you're battling a, cancer uh, yeah, yeah you're battling cancer and and sometimes these are really helpful right these metaphors are very helpful for, to to take something that's very complex and make it accessible but sometimes the metaphor starts to become the forefront and we start to look through the metaphor as opposed to as opposed to some way to help simplify it, we start to mm-hmm. say it has to fit the metaphor. And we've looked at ourselves as machines for so long that I sometimes think that we, we look through that metaphor in a way that it, it feels like everything we find out has to fit the metaphor. And yes. so, and I'm using a metaphor with my, with my philosophy, right? <laughs> my philosophy is yeah. it's, it's a language right We have a relationship. I'm using the metaphor of a partnership or a team. So we mm-hmm. think in metaphors, this is part of being a human being that I don't think we
1: can get outside of that. Right. And that well, in
0: itself is a metaphor, right? So we we're y- always in this yeah. metaphorical
1: space. You would know more than me, but I do find language so fascinating just because it is this attempt at conceptualizing like phenomena or sensory experiences. Right. And trying to, you know, say like what it what is I mean, we can be more objective at sometimes and be like, OK, what, what is blue to me is blue to you. Um, right. But especially when it comes to these emotions or these very abstract concepts that we don't have uh, any kind of sensory data or an empirical way to have that synonymous experience it's very limited and one thing to add to is when you're discussing that it to your point it's very useful sometimes to try and have these either dichotomy or very important distinctions between mind and body or uh you know anatomy versus psychology versus biology right but mm-hmm. at the same time that's not how nature exists we are we are these like complex relational creatures and, and it, it is important to look at it as like the, uh, what is it like the, the whole or the sum is greater than, or no, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts sometimes and realize that that complexity, um, you know, it, it, that's how it plays out in reality rather than everything happening in a very, uh, separatist kind of way. Yeah.
0: Um, I think that relationship is how we tend to find meaning and within, within linguistics, there are many different schools of thought as far as how it is that this rose and how we find meaning. There's um, one of them that one of them that comes to mind is is structuralism, which is uh, yeah Ferdinand de Saussure's uh, big thing, um, and and basically that all of meaning, whatever whatever meaning there is, it's in relationship to everything else um Mm -hmm. and and to your point like the best we've been able to do with pain right (laughs) how does it feel on a scale of one to ten right (laughs) yeah we're
1: still on the one to ten scale
0: (laughs) and and that's the best we've got you know and or we we have the smiley face to sad and angry like crying face (laughs) like Mm -hmm. all of these things are so subjective and and actually if you if you research the unconscious uh, Dr. Timothy Wilson, he wrote a, a, a fascinating book. Actually, it was one of the first books that I read when I was really getting fascinated with just the the concept of the unconscious. I in what mm-hmm. was the name of the book? It was um, "Strangers to Ourselves," and he and he the whole book is about the adapt what he calls the adaptive unconscious. Ultimately, this unconscious, the concept of the unconscious self, mm-hmm. and. And he says the best way to know yourself is to ask people about yourself because he says it's impossible, right? It's impossible to fully be able to because we don't have conscious access to this part of ourselves, the unconscious. Yeah, we, we we it's impossible to know ourselves. I I would my concept is I don't have conscious access to your thoughts, but because mm-hmm. of language, I we have a, at least a medium of trying to parse meaning between each other i can in i can infer meaning from your expressions from Mm. your body language i'm seeing you smile right now i'm hoping that that's because you you know it's a thought (laughs) as opposed to you know he's got a booger hanging out of his nose yeah (laughs) you know so so there's Uh there's meaning that is conveyed it's just that it's imprecise and we're just doing our best and so for instance in my book i even talk about this when it comes Mm -hmm. to breathing techniques that's kind of just like sentences, right? And we know that that communication is only about, like right now, only about 20% of the meaning that we are conveying to each other is the actual syntax of what we're saying, right? The actual words themselves, the the way they've we've put them together in sentences. Mm-hmm. We understand that about 80% of interpersonal communication is tone, inflection, presence, you know. And so as, just in the same way, it just, happens to turn out same with breathing so how you breathe your breath how you breathe a technique you can get totally different results with the exact same technique depending on how it is that you're using your muscles and where you're putting the breath so we're adding tone inflection all of those things into the breath as we're trying to speak back to the unconscious because a lot of times a person will come to me and say well and it's just like we were talking earlier with with, uh, supplementation and exercise. I, I don't know how many YouTube channels have, have just blown up and they sustain based off of, this is a research that was done on how to do a push up better. Right. Or, and, mm-hmm. and Hey, I'll nerd out on those. I'm wanting, I, I got to get them gains. Right. Yeah. But at the end of the day, that is in a clinical setting with another person. And you were, you were, you made a great point earlier, uh, talking about, you know, when it comes to how we eat our nutrition and all these things you know sometimes we look at what the research says and then we don't think about how it's actually interacting with our
1: experience mm-hmm. because the thing is i what i always try to tell a person it's bad it, with diet culture so much the dogmatism with with diet
0: <laughs> we do we do but we also have a culture that doesn't want to take responsibility for our own internal relationship yes. i want to hire a i want to hire a coach to make me skinny I want mm-hmm. to hire uh, you know, a doctor to make me healthy. And what I want to challenge people to do, and this is, this is the, I guess, the real meat of, of this project, the language of breath, my whole philosophy of, of breath work and awareness, is ultimately to take responsibility. Your unconscious doesn't read the literature on mm-hmm. what breath work technique is supposed to do what right? You have to become aware. It's like learning a language and you know, obviously I'm really stuck on this language metaphor, but it really is. You know, I, yeah. my wife is, she, uh, I, I married into a Puerto Rican family. I grew up in the Midwest, uh, had three years of Spanish that I learned absolutely nada. Okay. Mm-hmm. Maybe I learned there a you little go. There un you go. poco, right? But <laughs> mm-hmm. I was like, I'll never use this then I marry into a Spanish speaking uh, family. <laughs> I can ask where the bathroom is. Donde es el baño, right? Mm-hmm. And I can make it sound like I kind of know what I'm talking about. But as soon as they reply back, I'm just hoping they'll, they're gonna point. I'm just hoping they're gonna just, hey, it's, you know, Jesse, I'll speak English over here. You have to learn how to listen and how to become, and that starts with awareness, right? So you have to learn how to listen, how to decipher, and that starts with that awareness. So, I mean, this is, I guess, probably my favorite interview so far. We've got, I, we've really had. I, <laughs> I, I got to say, say, we uh... yeah,
1: we've covered <laughs> a, a, say, a wide breadth. I was glad that you uh, brought it back to breath because I was like, I'm on the, uh, I'm on the cliff of going on a tangent. So, uh, <laughs> I, I, we could tie it back to breath work for those that have, uh, that are this deep into it. What is, uh. What is? How do you approach the everyman with breath? Where should someone who's not really got into breath work? They previously maybe viewed it as this woo-woo spiritual thing only yeah. for yogis or meditation. Where should they start with breath? The first thing is, well, hey, start with my book,
0: right? But, but yeah, of course. But, <laughs> <all> t- <laughs> but no, the thing is, I I I often get this. So I do a lot of. I go to a university or a uh, military academy, or I'll go to a lot of places where there's there's faculty or there's people that they know I'm there to speak about breath. They're not sure if they really want to come to the talk. And they, they mm-hmm. ask me, hey, so, so why should I care about this? You know. And fortunately I have a good sense of humor about that. I, I'm not taking it the wrong <laughs> way, but but ultimately they do. And I say, well, it's important to understand that breathing Every breath that you take is interfacing with your nervous system in a, in a real, a very real way. So, and, and that it's more common than not that people have breathing dysfunctions that actually put you in a stressed state more often. I don't go with the, I don't go as deep as we've gone in this podcast with the average person, right? I I want a person to understand most people are, are going to come at it from the point and it is true. Hey, we tend to suffer a lot and we suffer from the strain of stress. We suffer from the strain of, of, of anxiety and we don't want that. We know that chronic stress and anxiety, it affects most people. Even if they're not completely aware of it, and and we also know from r- the research that it's incredibly common to have breathing dysfunctions that add to that stress, that that just basically take you wherever. Let's say you were at a seven, whatever that mm-hmm. means, <laughs> yeah. right? Whatever the objective number seven means,
1: whatever smiley face you have on, yeah, <laughs> right,
0: right. Let's suppose you're there. Well, and a breathing dis- a, 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 with dysfunctional breathing. Which I, I call that breathing in a, in a tone. So, so create, you're creating a tone or a presence within that internal relationship of, of, of a lack of ease, a lack of safety, but i mm-hmm. uh, but for the average person, I'm just going to say, if you're breathing, you're adding more stress. Okay. And we know that actually just last year, there was research done on college athletes and they took a wide spectrum of all these different sports and college athletes. 90% of college athletes that were tested had dysfunctional breathing patterns. So so they, they these people were young. They were very fit. 90% had dysfunctional breathing patterns. Side note on that, just because we're nerding out and we're having fun on this podcast so much. Um, did you know that of all of those people asked, all of the badminton, College athletes huh. had dysfunctional breathing.
1: <laughs> what is uh? What are those dysfunctional breathing patterns like? Could you describe what yeah. that exactly is?
0: So a dysfunctional breathing pattern is just like you, you you're probably familiar with a, a dysfunctional walking gait, right? So if or a running gait or mm-hmm. uh, mobility patterns, right? So, um, so for instance, so inefficiencies. They well, what happens is they are they are habits that you have picked up unconsciously that lead to negative outcomes in in most cases. Mm -hmm. That's how we would broadly define it. So for instance, when I, my child, I have an eight year old son right now. He, when he was two years old, he could do a perfect squat, right? And he could just play in that perfect squat, sit and just totally fine. Now he cannot do that. And I know that I'm gonna have to teach him how to do a perfect squat just like I had to learn how to do a perfect squat again. Right. And Mm -hmm. you have to work on your mobility. And we know that, that if you have poor mobility, it will exacerbate injury, lead you to more injury. There's a lot of negative effects there. And Mm -hmm. it's not just in the hips. It's not just in the knees, but it can manifest itself somewhere else in your body. Well, it's similar with breathing dysfunction. There is an order that your nervous system expects the muscles to fire in. There are places in what we call the breath wave that will in many ways signify, I mean, I'm loving the fact that I'm able to use a lot of these philosophical (laughs) words and linguistic terms on this, on this podcast. I am, I'm hoping your audience isn't just like, oh my God, where did this go? (laughs)
1: <laughs> well brock normally be,
0: is so cool and then he's he's no just being to be fair
1: i feel like i look for any excuse to bring in western philosophy because there's so few so few people that care to talk about it or read about it beyond you know everyone right now is hot on meditations or stoicism oh yeah but like yeah. true true like either metaphysical conversations or or uh you know looking at consciousness it, it's entertaining so i'm having fun doing it it, so i
0: appreciate (laughs) everyone who's still listening to this
1: and and
0: ultimately western philosophy is something that um that i'm passionate about it's it's something that i am trying to talk about more on my own like my youtube channel
1: and my own classes and well it's it's, incredibly practical but people i think it just has this like esoteric Aura around it, or that it just seems so, uh, you know, unapproachable for people. And 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 some, depending on the writer, it can be hard to get into it. But I mean, if you know my unacademic, no, you know, philosophical degree self can go through this process of self education and teach myself. Oh, you can. And there's tons of resources oh, on YouTube. Anyone can do it. You know. And and
0: the thing is, it's so important today. Yes. And and I know we're going off on a tangent, but I feel like I feel like let's just do this. Uh, I think it's so it, yeah. important today when we have <laughs> such a crisis of meaning and when yes. we have so many things going on in the world that are absolutely terrifying that have shattered the narrative that we used to be able to just rely on. And again, this all come, it I mean it ties back to the language of breath. I mean it literally does because it does. everything – it. <laughs> it, it all does play in on – why are you doing what you're doing right so let's mm-hmm. throw socrates in it let's just get down to it right why do you do what you do and this is this is someone who changed western philosophy forever there's the pre-socratic era there's the post-socratic mm-hmm. era right it's it, it, w- this one guy why do you do what you do and the socratic dialogue is a perfect way to show that the vast majority of what we do is not for any rational reason at all. The vast majority of what we do is because we don't want to think. We don't want to use critical thought. We would rather go with whatever the impulses are, go with the flow, whatever the culture says. And I see right now and 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 I'm not trying to ha- to tie this back, but I'm just going to tie it back. This mm-hmm. is this is why I think breath work is, as a practice as a whole, I think why it's it's taking off so much because we have a fracturing of the narratives that we we've always loved and made life so easy for most of all the cultures. You had a singular narrative. I know where I am within this this hierarchy uh uh, the social hierarchy. I know where I am. Mm -hmm. I have a purpose. I'm born into that purpose. I don't have to think about it too hard. If I want to, in in many cases I can rise, I can I can fall, but I understand my place in relationship to everything else. And so now we have and here's Soren Kierkegaard, right? Let's 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 go let's go him in the
1: existentialist. Oh my
0: God. (laughs) And and let me just say don't read I mean if i if I could say one thing to anybody <laughs> who's listening still, if you are in if you want Soren kierkegaard has some of the best quotes in all of Western philosophy.
1: I love his writing
0: yeah, but but, oh my God, I remember when I first read on anxiety, yeah, and I hated every moment of that. I was like, oh my, I mean, it's so hard. I, and and I, and I say I hated every minute of it. I finished it. But it was, it was like trying to chew rubber. It was just so, you had to read every sentence a few times and it was, I mean, it's absolutely fantastic, but it was, it was very much like you could have just said, like literally anxiety is the dizziness of freedom is the best line out of the whole, the whole Mm -hmm. book. And I'm like, you could (laughs) have just said that at the beginning and just saved me a lot of effort. Just explain that. That's yeah. what the whole thing's about. But the point is, we we have so much anxiety as a result of we don't know where we fit, we don't know what we're doing or where we're going.
1: I and, think we have a uh, to put it in like a simple sentence, a crisis of freedom. And I think that's ooh. what the existentialists, specifically like Camus um, and and Sartre, and, sorry, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. even you know dating back to Kierkegaard or Nietzsche did a great job of conceptualizing is like, where do we go from here as society is changing as at least in this country specifically, we can speak from economic mobility as difficult as it is. You aren't kind of born into a family that always does this and it's like generational and people are becoming more secular where they don't always look to a deity or, mm-hmm. you know, some sense of divinity or divine purpose. And so you do have all these, you know, crises and anxieties that we, that, we're, stress and anxiety is not new to us as human beings, as we discussed and as you, you laid out very well, but maybe the particular existential crises and anxieties are a little bit new to us. Like we mentioned, because of the freedom of defining our own purpose or trying to discover or rediscover what direction we should go uh, through with in life, like what path to follow.
0: That that is the dizziness of freedom, right there, right. I think you're exactly, absolutely right. It's yeah. a crisis of freedom, and and then you have then you have practices like breath work, which I'm absolutely a big fan of, mm-hmm. um, that make you feel something. And if you do it really well, right. So there's an exercise called the listening exercise that's in the back of my book. So definitely check that out. There's a link that takes you to even a guided uh, session you will you you have the potential to meet yourself, and this is something that it we over intellectualize and this is something I will also say perhaps you know Western thinkers are are guilty of over intellectualizing sometimes and and, sure. and and so that may be one of the the, the, the reasons why people get falls. frustrated with them so much yeah. but when we actually like literally meet ourselves. So when you when you can connect to the unconscious in a very profound way, you have an experience that is is really difficult to explain and it's difficult to describe. People do psychedelics to do this. Uh, people mm-hmm. do deep meditations. Uh, breath work is, is one of the ways that I would say is the safest and, and most direct ways. Like I said, I have one that's called the listening exercise based off of the research. I'm like, okay, so there's all this integrative breath work that's out there that I've done. What is actually happening here? And then how can we, how can we focus it in again on the unconscious conscious connection? And, and so we call it the listening exercise and I have a sample, like a guided track. There's like a, I don't know, I think you got a galley copy of the book, the, the final copy that people will get if they order, their books, mm-hmm. there's a scannable, it'll take you to uh right the, to the it. book, yeah, the book extras, the there you go. Yeah. But but when you actually meet yourself, it's a profoundly spiritual experience. And then you're mm-hmm. left wondering, well, what what is that? And I think there's a lot of people in the breath work world and in the yoga world and in the fitness world and in the you name it world, that whenever you experience something that you can't explain that's incredibly profound there are so many people willing to sweep in and say, Hey, guess what? It's God. And I'm the source and I'll, I'll lead you through it. And you, you gotta, I'm the guru. And, and Hey, you know, there is so many people willing to sweep in and say, I've got the answers. And what I try to do in my book is say, these are, this is where we think we are. And this is how you can experiment with this on yourself. And this is based off of, my research based off of decades of, of scientific research on conscious unconscious based off of the experiences that I've been able to replicate with my clients Mm -hmm. in a variety of different fields and a variety of different circumstances. This is what is happening and this is how you can use it to do something that the I mean, you look back as far as Plato, uh, as far as Socrates, how do you you live the life of authenticity? How do you live that life according to your values? Why -hmm. are you doing what you're doing? And if you are stuck in a place and you think there's no place to go, right? Let's see. Well, let's go to the existentialist, right? How much Mm -hmm. freedom do you have? How much Mm -hmm. freedom do you have? Um, uh, Sartre, I think we haven't yeah. mentioned him. We might as well throw him in there, right? You have mm-hmm. more freedom than you think. Are you that waiter? Are you the waiter that's just a waiter? Or are you someone who can be anything you want to be? So so what I, and I do call the language of breath a philosophy of breath work. It's not because I'm trying to become a philosopher, but it's it's a way of seeing this thing that is the fastest growing health modality right now in the world in a light that I think is as useful as I can help a person to see it in and as applicable to living the life that you want to live. I don't want to just have to sit around doing breath work all day in order to feel good and and be fulfilled. Mm -hmm. I want to have, I want to have a great life with my partner. I want to have a wonderful, career. I want to raise my son in a way that is going to be something I I'm proud of myself for helping to, to bring a, another amazing person, hopefully amazing person into the world. I mean, he's amazing already mm-hmm. at eight, <laughs> but I'm just, you know, how I, I want to be able to fulfill what I believe is a good life. Right. Yeah. And this is something that when we are unaware of these internal forces and when we're unable to work with them it can feel like we're limited when we're not it can feel like we're making decisions that are the only thing i could do in the moment when in reality you had a lot more opportunities but because we are organisms of action because mm-hmm. we are our our species has a survival plan of when there's danger you run toward it or against it or you know away from it and it it actually limits our cognitive capacity in those times so energy comes up <laughs> critical thinking comes down so mm-hmm. if that's where you're living where your critical thinking is 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 impaired because you're chronically in these states where the unconscious is trying to put you in a place where you can survive and thrive. Your unconscious is trying to put you in that situation. And this is
1: the uh, sympathetic nervous
0: system response, right? Right. That's how we experience it. So, so I in the book, I call our autonomic nervous system the Rosetta Stone. You, you're going to like the book, Brock. Yeah. The more I, we talk, I, the more I'm like, you gotta, you're going to well, love book. I've read through it. a lot of it. Yeah. Okay, yeah. good. So, But ultimately, we look at the autonomic nervous system it's not, a lot of times in breath work, we look at it as something that we control. People say, you control the autonomic nervous system. I'm sorry, that's not really what's happening. It is kind of a conduit. It, it, I like to look at it as more of a, it's a way that we can send messages and receive messages. We can understand what the unconscious believes about our situation because, well, What parts of the autonomic nervous system are activated or deactivated or what, what, what changes are happening physiologically? Oh, okay. So my heart rate is elevated. That must mean that I, my unconscious believes I, I need more energy. Mm -hmm. You can do other things like, you know, you check your blood sugar. You can, uh, you can do I have heartburn? Am am I, you know, do I have to pee suddenly? You know, there's a lot of other little signals that you'll find out through the autonomic nervous system, but ultimately if I can start to learn how to decipher myself, I mean, isn't that the, isn't that know thyself, right? Going right back to Delphi, know thyself. And I mean, it, it got Socrates in trouble, but But ultimately, (laughs) ultimately, when when we can examine ourselves as as he he gives us that dictum, you know, the the unexamined life is not worth living when we can examine ourselves and and really say, why am I doing what I do? Why do I believe what I'm believing? What am I doing and why? We can start to live a, a life of purpose and of meaning that I think so often we forget that we have access to and a lot of it is because we don't understand what we are
1: yeah oh, and i think again a little to add a a bow on top i had a life of action too and tying yeah. and start is you know materializing ourselves through action mm. um tying back to breath before we go off again yeah um, <laughs> you have you have a great chapter in here about nasal breathing and i, I was yeah. quite curious about it because that's been something that um you know, some of my fellow peers have uh, delved into a little bit with some of these companies that have popped up right with, uh, you know, mouth taping and all of that. I fortunately for years now have been a nasal breather as much as I can, mostly out of just annoyance of having like my nose clogged and like that, I guess that personality. And then also before bed, I'm always like, I don't like waking up with a dry mouth or, or having, again, that whistle nose, I can't sleep. So fortunately, <laughs> I don't feel like I need the mouth tape. But uh, talk to talk to me a little bit about nasal breathing, the benefits of it, and mm-hmm. the why behind it. So your nose is
0: there for a reason. Our sinuses are there for a very valuable reason. We have literally um, our, our, our immune system And much of our nervous system. I mean, we have an enormous amount of real estate. If you even think about it in terms of like size and and space in our head, dedicated to our sinuses. And so, nasal breathing is something that, like so many things, I'm gonna just I'm so like so many things. I'm gonna tell you why it's so important, and then I'll tell you why people tend to be all or nothing, and that's not a good that's not a good thing either. But nasal breathing. Uh, when you breathe through your nose, you you humidify the air and you detoxify the air in, in many ways when it comes to like dust, pollen, dander, things like that. Depending on the size of the particles, it will. you've got these things in your sinuses called turbinates that will, as long as you're not dehydrated, is going to pick up those particles in the air and fold them into mucus and process those. It'll never get down to those. Uh, just the bronchi, the bronchioli, alveoli, mm-hmm. all those things. And ultimately, that is your nervous system or your, your immune system, which is part of your nervous system, your immune system doing what it's supposed to do. It's, it's taking out things that could potentially be dangerous to you before they ever get close to those sensitive areas. So that's going to reduce inflammation in your bronchi, bronchioli so for especially for people who have asthma allergies things like that it's it's Mm -hmm. insanely important to breathe through your nose like as often as you possibly can um also if like when i was a lecturer at the university i would come home absolutely exhausted and i'm like i can't go to the gym now what what gives right because i'm just exhausted and i think a lot of people have a lot of people can relate to that and so what I found out was that I was just talking all day and I was mouth breathing, right? Whenever I'm exhaling, I'm exhaling through the mouth as I'm speaking. Right. And so that actually has a negative effect on your sinuses as well. So if you can inhale and exhale through your nose, research shows that you will keep the nose malleable. You're going to make sure that it's, it's, it's again, all of those things that you just said, you're not going to have a stuffed up nose as often you use it or you lose it in many ways with your sinuses. Mm -hmm. Now, having said that there is a fad of let's tape my mouth shut now i will say taping the mouth shut at night is not necessarily a bad idea i would say to make sure to tape your mouth shut for twenty minutes, bef- you know, during awake times, just to make sure you actually don't have any obstructions that you didn't know about, <laughs> right? I would make hate- sure you wake up in the morning. <laughs> yeah, you, you know, you know, it's, it's it's better, just safer than sorry. And and for instance, my son, he has uh, he's got this mouth breathing issue at night, and so we got this the tape that goes around his lips. It's mm-hmm. not it's not like covering Over and it. making it so that yeah. you can't do that because it's, it's not a mistake that we can breathe through our mouth. Like it's not just like, Oh, we just happened to be able to do that and you shouldn't ever do that, but mm-hmm. we, we can breathe through the mouth. It is, it's an escape hatch if you want to think about it that way. Like, and if I coach swimmers, I'm not going to tell them, Hey, breathe nasally <laughs> in the pool. Right? Like there's, mm-hmm. <laughs> there's a reason why we have what we have our our, our, our all these features They are there for a reason. So I do recommend for a lot of people who have issues with mouth breathing at night to mouth tape. I tend to tell a person to try to mouth tape until um, maybe for a month or so, and then to try to see if, if they need it anymore. Most people can actually retrain themselves and then they don't need to mouth tape forever. Some people do, some people do have issues where they just always need to mouth tape and that's fine. Mm-hmm. But just like there is no pill that cures everything, you know, the, a lot of people it's almost like there's like they, they show off their mouth tape. And I'm yeah. like, okay, that's very nice. You have lips. Like we we <laughs> we do have lips, right? So there's yeah. so nighttime mouth taping is something that I am in favor of. And I do recommend it for a lot of people. Nasal breathing in almost every case is good. Even whenever you're talking, as much as you can, breathe through the nose between your, your sentences. Mm-hmm. So all of those things are good. Whenever you, you breathe through the nose, you activate your diaphragm. You're filtering the air. You're slowing down your 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 gas exchange. Um, you're reducing the amount of CO2 that you're exhaling and in, inhaling or you're, that you're exhaling. So you're keeping your CO2 a little higher in your blood. That allows the pH in your blood to be more conducive to oxygen dispersal, and that also mm-hmm. includes in your brain. So there are a lot of benefits to, to to breathing through the nose. However, for an athlete, I I see these athletes now. I see people just taping athletes' mouth shut, and I'm not a proponent of that um, unless the, that athlete just has no lips and and just can't yeah. control his or her lips. Well, that, when that's one question. And aware, uh,
1: I was going to say, and I'll serve it up for you. Yeah. I was wondering that too, because I do a lot of ultra running, um, which is very slow, but mm-hmm. at the same time, um, I've always, I think what I heard on one uh, podcast that was more scientifically based was discussing that there really is no major benefit of nasal breathing while you're running that, you know, a friend of mine also kind of just said, like, use both at the same time, um, kind of breathing through both pathways. Uh So, with that said, like what, yeah, what is the the right protocol or approach for athletes? So, I will, I will take a
0: different approach than than Mm -hmm. that. The, when it comes to, I would say, when it comes to weightlifting, as long as you're breathing, I'm happy, right? Yeah. Yeah. We we get the weightlifting apneas and it's like, dude, just breathe. You, you, what, 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 do you, you don't have to do a valsalva for every,
1: (laughs) for every move, every rep. Mm -hmm. But
0: when it comes to aerobic, exercise, running, cycling, things like that. What I tend to do is, is I tend to use what I call the gear system. Now there are different gear systems that are out there, but I would say, especially for an endurance runner, nasal breathing is going to help you improve the gas dispersion. So you do want to do nasal breathing to a point, but there Mm -hmm. will come a point. There will come a point if you're pushing yourself hard enough that you can no longer—that's not really helping you. Yeah, and there's research actually. I guess it comes at a cost at that. Fairly point. recent research that will show uh, that shows that that there is a cost uh, to to staying nasal for too longs. But I will mm-hmm. say, stay nasal as long as you can. Once you feel like I just can't do nasal anymore, you mm-hmm. probably can go a little longer. But once you once you get to that point what I suggest that a person do, does is, is breathe in through the nose and out through the mouth. So you're exhaling a little bit more CO2 accommodating for that extra push that you're giving yourself. And then there's going to come a time whenever you're pushing yourself so hard that man, maybe it's a sprint at the end. Maybe it's the, mm-hmm. uh, maybe you're doing uh, Hill, some interval trainings, hills. Yeah. yeah. Something like that. Okay. You can drop it into full throttle, right? You you can go in and out through the mouth, and there there is a place for that. So so often we you'll, you hear a lot of people just oversimplify it. I think there's a place for it, but then if you can, then okay, drop it back into in through the nose, out through the mouth. Mm-hmm. Okay, great, because what you're trying to do is you're trying to balance your pH and you're trying to make sure that you're not exhaling so much CO2 that you restrict the amount of oxygen that can be dispersed to your tissues. We know that, that we, we need a more acidic environment. The more acidic environment we have, the more oxygen can get dispersed to the tissues, and that's gonna help you with your endurance. CO2 mm-hmm. is more acidic, it's going to, and, and so if you, can, if you can breathe in and out through your nose, You're maintaining a higher level of CO2 and therefore you're more likely to be able to disperse more oxygen to your tissues for longer. Once you get to a certain point though, you've got to switch gears. So yeah, I, I, now I'm not that that's just how I coach my clients. There are other people that say, okay, we've got more than three gears. I I teach with three gears, some people, uh, Brian McKenzie, he teaches with, I think he's got four or five gears. Mm-hmm. Um, just depending on who you're talking to, but ultimately it's, again, we're not machines, even though I'm using a gear uh, analogy. Again, we always speak in metaphors, but, yeah. but I, 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 tend to say there is a time and place, right? Appropriateness is the key and nasal breathing should be for most times. It's going to be the, the best way to go, but there is a time and place for switching to mouth exhales in and out through mm-hmm. the mouth. There are times and places for that. It's never a only do it this way. Anytime yeah. you hear this is the one way we do it, we don't do it any other way, that's probably an oversimplification.
1: So what, one question I have too regarding breath, let's say we get these protocols and we start you know utilizing some of these techniques is how do we measure our subjective and objective progress with breath? So like how can we look at it subjectively and know that we are feeling or experiencing better or is there an objective way we can also look at Uh, the progress that we're making from utilizing these techniques
0: so most of it it will be a subjective thing and this is why we want to really develop that internal awareness however there are some ways that you can objectively measure progress as well Uh, so for instance one of the ways we just talked about with nasal breathing is is co2 you can measure your tolerance to co2 Uh, now that is also somewhat of an objective measurement, but you at least will have a number that you can compare to previous things. Mm-hmm. And that's about, I, I would say, as close as you can get to an objective measurement. It's, it's sort of similar to, I can bench press this much weight. Well, can you always do it every single day? Is this always, every single time you go in, you're always gonna get that number? Maybe not, mm-hmm. but it's this is approximately where I'm maxing out.
1: Yeah, so just find that baseline, I guess one question that i had to do in my research was realizing that wim Hof had a had a big influence on you so i i want to know where breath work and cold immersion pair together where they overlap how they kind of fit together in that way ultimately i now
0: i used to think back then that it you know but when you do this technique then you get the superpower and you can do this yeah. thing you start to levitate uh, yeah and and ultimately Cold, just like any stressor, is is a stressor. And so whenever you're going into a stressor, whether it's a cold bath or whether it is a stressful conversation, mm-hmm. you can speak calm back into your relationship, back to the unconscious parts of you. And that can help you relax. That can help you in the face of the stressor. It can help you calm down. So that's, we, you know, it's something that I still encourage people to use. It's still a fantastic, I still ice bathe regularly. Mm -hmm. Uh, It is something that we can use as a proxy for other stressors.
1: So is it kind of like introducing an artificial stress to ourselves on purpose so that we can practice this calming state? Exactly,
0: exactly. It just gives us an opportunity to to get all of those physiological changes of the, of the sympathetic activation so that we can mm-hmm. start speaking back.
1: Gotcha. So you touched on it a little bit. Uh, you referenced your son a couple times. What are some of the ways that you're trying to instill proper breathing uh, for your own son and, and that people can do for their own children or, or spouses or whatever?
0: You know, kids, they will, they'll will—they'll be incredibly honest and sometimes they'll say things that are a bit awkward. We were, I think he was five And we were out in public and he said, hey, daddy, that guy's breathing through his mouth.
1: I called him a mouth breather.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And he thought it was so weird. Uh, I think the big thing for kids and what I'm trying to do with my son is let him know. uh, Basically, I'm trying to mitigate the damage, right? I'm trying to keep it so that he stays as functionally breathing as possible. So mm-hmm. uh, I, I don't get in great depth with, let's do this breathing session or let's do that. Uh, he does know some techniques. So whenever he'll see me go into a technique, oh, hey, you're doing sniff, sniff, poo. Oh, you're doing four, mm-hmm. seven, eight. You know, he, he understands some of those things. But when it comes to kids, I think the best thing we can do is encourage them to stay nasal and, and, and try to breathe nasally, especially during everyday life. And Mm -hmm. just to help them stay uh, up with their exercise. So aerobic activities are are going to be absolutely beneficial to helping uh, some kids, any kids, um, stay healthy, especially with their breathing.
1: Gotcha. Well, Jesse, I've had a blast talking with you about breath, but also we get to delve into our side passions and, and, and fascination with philosophy. So it's been a great time.
0: Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm always always up for these kind of conversations. So yeah, I appreciate say, it so much.
1: Where can people find you and where can they uh, pre-order the book? Yeah, so you can
0: pre-order uh, my book, The Language of Breath. That is anywhere where books are sold. That's, uh, of course, Amazon is, is going to be probably the easiest, but you can go anywhere mm-hmm. for that book. Um, it's in Audible, iTunes, eBooks, of uh, you know, all that. Uh, you can get my old book, The uh, A Practical Guide to Breathwork. It's still out there. It's still a great book. It's on Amazon, all those uh, other places as well. You can find me at jessiecoomer.com or you can go to languageofbreathcollective.com if you'd like to do the online course. Sometimes it's, it's great to read the book, but it's nice to have an actual online course. Visual, and of course, you know. as a recovering... English professor. As a recovering educator, I, I mm-hmm. content creation and, and curriculum development is my specialty. So uh, <laughs> I've got an in-depth course and uh, I take you through step by step on that. We also have a certification and we're taking applications right now for the 2024 Language of Breath Breath Worker School. So if this is something that you would like to add to your modalities that you teach or if it's something that you'd like to share with other people, uh, there's an avenue for that. That's something you do want to sign up for uh, before the end of this year. So we uh, we do have a cutoff, and uh, it's actually filling up pretty fast this year. So if, if that's something you're interested in, you head over to languageofbreathcollective.com and uh, reach out to us there.
1: Perfect. Well, appreciate you coming on. And again, if you guys have any more questions or you're curious, obviously get the book. Reach out to Jesse directly, and uh, please share the podcast, subscribe to the show, and we'll catch you guys in the next one.